Good morning. This time we're going to release our children for Children's Church. So they're going to head out the back with Miss Rachel and head over to the other building. We've also got, uh, Pam is also going to be in the back in the cry room as we're also kind of trying to get a nursery back started, but we're going to do it just back there in the, in the room back here in this building. So I think she's going to be back there today and, uh, and be available back there if needed. Uh, so we are going to wrap up our our series in the parables today, thinking about prayer and some of the things that have already kind of been touched on this morning. We've already had kind of a, a couple of little um, testimony sermonettes. So Rachel asked me if I was still going to preach this morning. I said, well, I guess so. I have to. But um, I'm appreciative of Jillian and, and Chris for, for sharing their hearts and sharing part of what God has been doing within them this week um, and over the course of, of their faith journeys. And so uh, Chris, I would like to see a tattoo based on Psalm 40 that could have some interesting imagery to it, so, so that could be nice. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be looking at a parable that is sometimes called the parable of the persistent widow, and sometimes called the parable of the unjust judge. Uh, I like to think of it personally as the H-E-B parable, and I say that because I think this is a parable about what it is like to take a kid to H-E-B. Uh, and so just as we read through it, like that's, that's what I connect with this parable. Whenever I read this parable, I think this is, this is a story about what it's like to take a kid to H-E-B, especially, especially a young kid. Because like Banner is at that age right now that if I take Banner with me to H-E-B, he asks for everything. Every, it doesn't matter what it is. He'll ask for something on an aisle. I'll say, Banner, do you know what that is? No but I want it, <laughs> so let's, I, I need it. And so everything we see, can we have this? Can I have this? And so that's why if I take Banner to H-E-B, I end up leaving with Oreos, two different flavors of fruit snacks, a Hot Wheels car, and glitter glue, just because it's like, it's just a wide variety of stuff that we end up taking home with us because eventually I just get tired of saying no. <laughs> And so, like, there's only, there's only so many times I can say no and keep my sanity and know that I'm not going to lose Banner, right? It's like, so I've, some things you just got to give in to because we've just got to, we've got to keep moving. So fine, you can have that. I don't know what that is, but yeah, put it in the cart. It's only $2. <laughs> uh, I'll deal with the repercussions from Ashley when we get home. <laughs> like, sometimes you just have to, like, I'm just tired of saying no. I'm going to give in and, and say yes. And so I, I think there are some similarities between that type of experience and what we find in this story today. That narratively, I think we find similarities between those types of experiences. But when it comes to implications of this parable and what Jesus wants us to take from it, I think that we end up having to look a, a little deeper than that, a little deeper than someone like a parent or authority figure who just gets tired of saying no and finally gives in. And so we'll come back to, to what I mean by that a little later. But for now, let's go ahead and, and get into the story. Uh, this is going to be in Luke 18, if you want to follow along with us. It's also available in the, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, uh, it's, it's available. We have a live event there as we do um, every Sunday. You can look in the events section of that. You should be able to find the vine. Otherwise, if you want to follow along with us, it'll be in Luke 18, or the words are, are also going to be on the screen here. But this is Luke 18, starting in verse 1. 
And, and the nice thing about this story, as you'll see here, uh, last week I mentioned that the story we looked at last week uh, had basically no kind of introduction or explanation at the end, at least directly. There's no, there was no direct or, or, or kind of overt lead into the story. Uh, Luke just kind of throws it out, threw it out there at us. I think we were in Luke last week. Uh, but this week, it's, it's almost the, the exact opposite of that. Luke gives us this like clear, concise introduction. Here's why Jesus is telling this story. And so he says this, the beginning of Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And that phrase there at the end, not give up, you could also translate that as not grow weary or not, not lose heart. And so that's, I think this is important context for us to remember as we go through this parable. Because as we read through this parable, Luke is telling us, this is a story about why you should pray and not give up. This is a story about why you should not grow weary, about why you should not lose heart. And I think part of the important context for this story and why it's important to remember is because Luke does not begin this story by saying, this is why you should badger God in prayer for whatever you want, knowing that God will give it to you. <laughs> Uh, because we can kind of come away with that, with that application of the story if, if we let ourselves go there. But Luke says, no, th this is the setup for the story. It's about why you should pray, and it's about why you should not grow weary. Uh, so then, he goes on. He said, him being Jesus, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Uh, now, interestingly, your version, if you're reading from a different version, your, your version may say something different there besides justice. It's actually not the word that's used for justice in, in the rest of the New Testament. It's a word that is traditionally translated more as um, avenge. So literally, she's saying, avenge me against my adversary. It's a word that's often connected to something like punishment or, or retribution or, or vindication. Uh, and so it's a word that can have a negative connotation. And, and so because of that, some people have kind of theorized that, that maybe it's the widow in this story that, that is, is kind of prompting the judge to, to act in more of an unjust way. That she's kind of saying, hey, I know you've acted justly, but hey, I need vengeance. I need retribution. Will you grant me that? And so finally he does. Uh, so that's one possible reading of the story. And we could go down kind of different avenues of what that may mean. Um, I don't think, though, it's what Jesus has in mind because after the story, he uses the same word in kind of a, what would seem to be a positive connotation towards God. Um, but that's a, at least if, if you're wondering, hey, my version says something different, that would be why it's not the word that we typically use to translate as justice. So that's just a quick little side note there. Uh, so Jesus continues. For some time, he, the judge, refused but finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, so he's at least self-aware about it, <laughs> Jesus is nice in letting us know the inner thoughts of some of these people in these parables. Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, uh, or that, that could also be heard as keeps causing me work, 
Like this, she's just a burden on me, and I'm just tired. I'm tired of messing with this lady. Even though she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice or vindication so that she won't eventually come and attack me. <laughs> and I think, I think the end of that story is almost supposed to be humorous. That again, literally, the word for attack me there means punch in the eye. Uh, and so again, I connect this to, to like the H-E-B kind of idea, right? That, that eventually, like, I kind of fear with Banner, he's going to get violent if I don't eventually say yes to something. <laughs> and we're either going to have to leave, and I don't get everything in the store that I'm supposed to get, or he's going to punch me in the eye or the gut or something, depending on if he's walking or in the cart or, you know, different, different areas of the body are in danger there. So I'm going to get punched if I don't say yes to something eventually. And I kind of hear the judge saying that, like, this lady's so persistent, if I don't say yes, she's going to come and attack me. And so I'm just going to have to give in to her. And so what we find, I think, in this story is that whether you are a widow seeking justice or a kid who's wanting the little packages of Nutella and pretzel sticks at the checkout line at HEB, uh, sometimes persistence and incessant pestering pays off. Like sometimes you just got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it and eventually you wear someone down. Uh, now that could have some implications for us for prayer and for things that we want in life. And we can even look back over the course of Scripture and see where this has happened over the course of Scripture. Like in the Old Testament, at one point, the Israelite people keep asking God and asking God and asking God for a king. And for a while, he says no. But finally, he's like, fine, I'm going to give you a king. It's going to go poorly for you. You're not going to like it. These are all the things a king's going to do for you. He's going to take all your stuff. He's going to take all your men and make him go fight his wars. He's going to tax you. He's going to do all this stuff. You're not going to like a king. But you keep asking for it, so I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> And so sometimes that does happen. On the other hand, sometimes, even in Scripture, we see that people think they know what they want, and God says, no, actually, that's not what's going to be what's best. Uh, Paul, this happens with Paul. Paul says, I prayed three times for God to take away this thorn in the flesh. But God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So we even find that with persistent prayer, sometimes God says, all right, I'll let you have it. And sometimes he says, no, that's not, that's not the way we're going to do it. And so I think when we look at even prayer that we see in Scripture, we see that, okay, so this can't be, the, the application of this parable can't just be that if I ask for something enough, God will give me whatever I want. We know that from, from Scripture, and we probably know that from our own experiences. Uh, many of us have probably labored in prayer for something that, that we never got the answer that we wanted to. Uh, we see this again in the Old Testament. David prays for his, for his son to be healed, and, and he is in mourning for his son at one point, and, and his son still eventually dies. We don't always get what we want in prayer. And so if we don't, then what do we, what do we take from this story? What is God trying to, to communicate to us here? What is Jesus trying to get us to see uh, because in a lot of these stories, uh, we, we tend to, and I think are supposed to in many times, connect the, the identity of the authority figure in the story to that of God. And there is usually something that we can learn or take from, about the character of God from the authority figure in the story. And that presents us with, with some issues in this particular story. Is God like a parent at H-E-B or, or a judge who is just tired of hearing from a widow who 
who eventually becomes so worn down by our annoying request that he just gives us whatever we want so that eventually we just shut up and leave him alone? Well, no, that doesn't seem to be the case. Does God simply get tired of saying no after a while? And if so, is my ticket to getting whatever I want simply praying for it enough and eventually I can have whatever I want from from God in life? Uh, I think that's the approach that some people have, or, or intrinsically, intrinsically, even if it's not the, the kind of um, the direct approach that we have, or kind of the, the theoretical, theological approach that we have, sometimes it may be, I think, kind of the practical approach that we take to prayer. That maybe if I just ask for it enough, or maybe I'm not praying hard enough for this. I remember when I was in middle school, uh, somehow one of my middle school teachers found out that I had this, this fervent desire to own a Dodge Ram pickup. Like, that's what I wanted in life. When I, like, when I was in middle school, like, my biggest life goal, at least for my teenage years, was to own a Dodge Ram. Uh, and so my, my middle school English teacher found out about this, Miss Plank. And Miss Plank said, Warren, if you pray every day that God will give you a Dodge Ram pickup, he will bless you with the Dodge Ram pickup. Um, and so for a while, I prayed. I've still never gotten a Dodge Ram pickup. <laughs> uh, now, luckily, at least in the way that I view prayer, luckily, my mom was actually with me when Miss Plank was telling me this at school, after school one day. And so after, like, my mom didn't say anything in the moment, but afterwards, she was just like, yeah, that's not really the way that we think it works. <laughs> so here's kind of how we, we envision prayer. You can pray for a Dodge Ram if you want. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. My mom was l- driving like my, my grandpa's beat up, handed down Pontiac, you know, boat at the time. <laughs> like, that's not the way that cars actually kind of work. Um, and I think what happens then, if we have that idea that like, if I just pray for something enough, I'm going to get it. What it leads to often is bitterness or resentment because then it becomes, if I don't get it, someone messed up, either God or me. Either God's not holding up his end of the bargain or I'm not praying hard enough. So then I feel guilty or I feel resentment. I feel feel bitterness towards God because something has gone wrong here. Instead of saying, maybe I've just, I've got a little bit of an incomplete picture of prayer and, and what it's supposed to do. Uh, and continuing with this line of questioning about what this parable tells us about God and his character, I think we also then can ask, like, so how are we, how are we to see God in someone who is unjust? I mean, Jesus himself says this is an unjust judge. So where am I supposed to see God in someone who is unjust? And I think Jesus himself helps us with kind of the answer to that elsewhere in Luke, actually. A few chapters earlier in Luke 11, Jesus says this. This is also connected to some of his thoughts on prayer. He says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Again, I think this is supposed to be a little humorous on, on Jesus' part, right? Like, if your son asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? Like, the, just, those are just comically two great examples. Uh, well, of course not. Even if you're not going to give him an egg, you're probably not going to give him a scorpion, hopefully. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. And I want to listen to a couple of phrases here that Jesus uses. He says, if you know this, and he says, how much more... How much more 
will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Notice he doesn't say he'll give you whatever you want. He says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so in that example and in our parable this morning, I think we find Jesus using a flawed human archetype to to make a point about the nature of God. That if a human father knows how to give good gifts, and if even an unjust judge can, can dole out justice for a widow at some times, how much more will God be a good, give, good gift giver and a, a dispenser of justice and vindication for his people? How much more will the Father in heaven do those things? And so I think that we can view this, this parable as sort of a how much more parable. And Jesus then goes on to give us some more of his thoughts on kind of, I think, what he wants us to take from this story in his comments after the parable. So this is picking back up in Luke 18. I think this is coming back to verse 6, I believe, or 7. I have the wrong, it's verse (laughs) 6. It says the wrong verse at the top of that. That's my fault. Um, So you're following along in Luke 18. He continues, the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice? That's the same word that the widow used earlier. Justice or vindication for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth. And so in these words, Jesus encourages us to listen to the words of the unjust judge. Listen to what this self-centered judge, who doesn't care about what anybody thinks, who doesn't fear God, listen to what he says, and notice that even someone without a care for anyone else around him or above him will eventually give a widow justice if she keeps asking Jesus says that that God will bring about justice for those who cry out to them. For Jesus, that's not the part that is up for debate. Instead, the question for Jesus is, who will be persistent? And he takes that all the way even to saying, when the Son of Man returns, when the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back, who will be found faithful? Will he find faith on earth? And so as we think about this story, uh, I think that many of us can connect with someone who has spent time waiting or someone who has spent time laboring in prayer. Uh, We've probably all had moments in life where we were waiting for something, when we were prayerful for something. Maybe we were prayerfully waiting for something. We've had times where we were praying for healing for justice, for vindication, for, for reconciliation of relationships. Maybe we've had times of, of waiting and, and, and praying for a situation with, with our job, our family, or something with, with the relationships, the people going on around us. And I think we find that when we wait, 
we wait and we pray in good company. Uh, scripture is full of, of stories of people who waited and prayed. People who waited and prayed for the birth of a child. People who waited and, and prayed for the return of a child. People who waited and, and prayed for freedom from oppression. People who waited and, and prayed for a better uh, and a promised future. People who waited and, and prayed for release from, from slavery and bondage. People who waited and prayed for healing and, and that, that something in their life would be redeemed and be, would be made better. Endlessly in scripture, we find people waiting and praying for years, for decades in some cases. We find people who lose their patience and who God has to bring back. These stories just flood through scripture. And importantly, I think, not all of those people received what they were waiting for and praying for. But many of the ones that we have stories of remained faithful even in the, the face of not receiving what they, what they were promised in this life. That's one of the, the points that the Hebrew writer seems to be driving towards when it comes to faith. So the Hebrew writer talks a lot about faith, and in one of the most well-known uh, passages and chapters of, of, um, of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, the, the writer kind of lists out all these people of faith from the Old Testament, from what we would know as the Old Testament. And so after going through all these faithful people, the writer says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And so the writer says these are, these are people who lived with faith even though the things that they were promised didn't come in their lifetime. But at the end, they were still faithful. And that's what they are remembered for. And so for us, as people kind of on the, on the other side of Jesus, if you will, on the other side of the crucifixion, we have received that part of the promise. We have received the promise of the coming Messiah who came and lived and died and was resurrected. But we, too, are still waiting for his return. We, too, are still waiting for this promised return of Christ. And not all of us will receive everything that we are asking for before his return. Not all of us will get exactly what it is that we are wanting, that we are looking, that we are looking for before his return. Uh, some of us will, will die, many of us, most of us, all of us, will die before the full realization of that justice and vindication that will eventually come when, when the coming of God's kingdom is brought in fullness, when he comes back and brings ultimate justice and vindication for us and for the world. Until then... We live in a broken world, a broken world where hate, where evil, where heartache, where brokenness, where pain exists. And some of that we are redeemed of, and some of it will remain, just as we see in the examples of Scripture. And I think one of the things that we find in Jesus' explanation of this story is that Jesus doesn't promise that you will get what you are waiting for in this life, but he does promise that he is coming back and that things will be made right. And that is what makes persistence important and necessary. And again, if we aren't careful, this parable can become uh, one in which we, 
we, we read into it that, uh, that, that there is something in here that entitles us to ask for whatever we want and trust that if we do it persistently, God will eventually say yes. It can then become a parable about God giving me whatever type of life that I want if I just pray hard enough for it and don't give up. And that's not to say that, that we aren't to pray for things that we want or to pray for healing or pray for justice, pray for vindication, all those things in our own life now. It's not to say that we shouldn't pray for those things and hope that they come. But it is to say that I am not God <laughs> and my idea of what I need and what the world needs may be different than what God's is and that's okay. And I think part of the irony of, of, of what we hear in Jesus' explanation of the meaning of this parable is that he talks about sort of the exact opposite of, of what it means to be a prayerful and persistent person. Jesus says it's not so much about getting whatever I want out of life, but about not losing heart when life doesn't seem to go my way. And I think then that the encouragement for us in this teaching is that prayer is the key to sustaining ourselves in time of waiting. Prayer is the path to steadfast faithfulness as we await vindication. And a life of prayer is what builds within us perseverance and what strengthens us so that, it, so that we do not lose heart or grow weary. Because ultimately, prayer is what connects us to the heart of God. That is what, I think, enables us to be pulled out. That is what opens up the path for God to reach in and pull us out of the slimy pit that, that Jillian and Chris referenced at the beginning. Uh, as Chris referenced in his story, right, it, it, it was him coming back to God's word and, and opening it up and, and inviting God into that part of his life. And I think that's what we find in prayer. In prayer, we are connected to the heart of God. In prayer, we, we align our heart uh, and our mind with the heart and the will of God. Prayer is, is the space in which we come to have eyes that see and ears that hear. And when we are faithful to a life of prayer, when we consistently put ourselves in places of prayer and a posture of, pr of prayer, we come to want the things that God wants. We come to, to see the things that God sees. We come to develop a heart uh, and a passion that mirrors that of God. And so part of prayer absolutely is, is asking God and, and petitioning God for things that we hope and, and that we want for in this life. But it's also that as I more deeply connect to God, those requests begin to match those that I believe he would want for my life. And then if the answer is no, I can accept that and hear it and persist uh, and continue in faith, knowing that God will grant me the strength to, to persist in life, even if the answer to, to that prayer is no, even if the answer to it is wait, even if the answer to it is, I know this is what you want, but it's not actually going to be best and my power is made perfect in your weakness, and my grace is sufficient for you. And so, even in the example of an unjust judge, we have this example of justice. And if even an unjust judge will eventually give out justice to a widow, how much more will a loving and gracious God give out justice to his people? And so, may we be faithful May we be prayerful. May we seek justice. And ultimately, may we trust and have confidence that God is listening, that God loves us, that God will not abandon us or leave us in our brokenness or our states of injustice, 
but that God will bring about redemption for his people, that he will answer the cries of his people, and that we have hope for that not only in this life, uh, but in the one to come as well. And so this morning, we're going to share in a communion meal in which we commemorate and we remember and we celebrate uh, that hope that we have in Jesus. So hopefully you have your communion elements. If not, they're available uh, in the foyer. But in just a minute, uh, the, the band is going to come and uh, sing and play another song for us. And as we do so, we invite you to a time of reflection, of, of meditation, of prayer, as we remember the hope that has opened up for us in Jesus. Um, and, and may we remember our call to be people who pray, to be people who are persistent and who do not lose heart, and to trust and remain faithful as we await vindication and justice in our life, um, and as we, know, as we trust that God will bring that about for the world and for his people. And so if you would, let's stand, and we're going to pray uh, our prayer of confession together, and then we'll share in a time of communion together this morning. I'll pray the parts in white, and together we'll pray the words in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, Paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, Renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat>